We're continuing our series led by Pastor Scott through the book of Acts, highlighting places of power and the miraculous. This week's message is titled, Ministering to the Lord. As believers, we are called to minister to the Lord, and that's the title of my message, Ministering to the Lord. And I think that's a lost art in the church. I think a lot of believers have lost the art of ministering to God. I mean, we come to church and, and we say, minister to me, you know, have the minister minister to me or, or have somebody minister to me and, you know, serve me, help me, pray for me, do something kind for me. But the first priority is to minister to the Lord, to serve the Lord in our worship and our praise and our exaltation and our sacrifice. Amen. And it's interesting. There's a great analogy between the Levites, Levi, Levites. How do you like that, Amanda? The Levites in the Old Testament were set apart of the, as of the Lord to be the tribe that would minister to God. And that was their job. They, they didn't work any outside job. This is what they did. They lived in the, or ministered in the tabernacle or in the temple. And there they worshiped the Lord and made sacrifices to the Lord. Now in the Old Testament, they were killing animals. And I know that's Sounds a little strange, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Those animals that were shed, that were killed, the blood, was a covering for sin, but it was not the removal of sin until John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' blood took sin away, removed it forever. Hallelujah. God buried your sin into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. We've been freed from sin in Christ. Hallelujah. And now we've been given the gift of righteousness. We've been given new ability, new purpose, new anointing, new unction, new covenant, which is better than the old. But still, the Levites ministered, and I want to take a look at this. Let's go way back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel. Find Psalms, go right, then you'll hit Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. And I want to turn to the 44th chapter of Ezekiel. And this is what God told these Levites to do. Now, during this time period, the, the people had turned from God... Just like today, people turn from God, turn away from God, and they worship false idols. Now, today, we don't really have idols. You know, I was watching this program about France, and, and they showed this idol worship that was going on and whatnot. People turning from God and worshiping these idols. But today, people don't usually have little idols sitting on the mantle, but their idols are things like materialism and sex and drugs and pride and greed and corruption and all of these things that people seek after in the fleshly part of life. Those are idols. So when we turn from God and we turn to those, we are turning to idols. And so God wants us to stay pure and clean and holy and make him the priority of our life. Now, if God wants to give you a Lamborghini, praise God. But if you're seeking after a Lamborghini, you're missing it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest will be added unto you. I heard some of those Lamborghinis speaking of those. I was just watching this program, just bumped into it. There's one that's $4 million. It's ridiculous. Goes 212 miles an hour, zero to 60 in three seconds. I mean, what do you need that for? <laughs> Especially around here. But anyway, interesting. We are to seek the kingdom, amen? And the rest will be added. God will bless our families. He will prosper us. He will be kind to us in the material realm, but we're to seek first him. Now look, here's the word that was given to these Levites, as they were repenting and coming back to the Lord and coming back to pure worship. By the way, there's always a time in your place in your life where you can repent. You know what repentance means? Change of mind. Change of heart. Okay, I'm doing this. Now I've decided I'm going to do this. So that's that simple. God, forgive me. Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a change. We have to make adjustments in life. 
I love to watch sports, and you'll see in the sporting world that people, athletes, if, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and it's not working, guess what? It will continue to not work. So you have to make adjustments. And stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again when it's not working. So we have to make adjustments in our spiritual life. And if we find in our life that things aren't working, that it's not, things don't seem to be right, then we need to make an adjustment. It's very simple. You, you say, Lord, I'm going to make an adjustment here. I was doing this, now I'm going to do that, right? And I'm going to make more of a commitment to seek your face, to call upon you on a daily basis, amen? And God receives that, and he receives that word of repentance. It, it, some people have a wrong concept of repentance. It's very simple, really. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this, and this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do the right thing, right? Moving from the wrong thing to the right thing, really. Moving from the flesh to the spirit, making that transition. All right, let's look at verse 15, 44, Ezekiel. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who keep charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went away from me, they shall come near me. Notice how many me's are in there. They shall come near me to minister to me. They shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. Wow. They were called to minister to God personally. We're to do the same. Verse 16, they shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies. They shall not clothe themselves with anything which causes sweat. So the idea is, oh, really, God's not into sweating? No, it's that the linen represents the spirit, the working of the spirit. And wool represents the flesh. And when I say flesh, I'm talking about self-effort. I'll do it. I'll be religious. I'll be good. I'll be in control of my life. I'll be in charge. And the spirit is when we give up ourselves and move into the things of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to take charge in our life. Walking in the spirit of grace. Amen. And so this is where we want to be, just like these Levites. We want to minister in the things of the spirit. And a lot of people in the church miss this. They come, to, they come to the church, uh, even ministers, and they preach the word. It's, it's intellectual. It's stimulating in that sense. It is theologically correct. But apart from the spirit, it, it means nothing. The letter of the law kills. The spirit gives life. If you don't have the spirit behind the word, it's not going to be life-giving. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are life, and they are spirit, and they are life-giving. So behind the word has to be the breath of the spirit. And so in a church, you need those two functioning together, the Holy Spirit ministering through the power of the Word of God. And when those two come together, well, there's what a a great union that is. And that's what we seek, you know. That's why we, we seek that anointing, right? That manifestation of God in this place, in this house. We seek after that. That's what David did, and he was a man after God's own heart. Well, let's go back to Acts. Praise God for the Levites. Our ministry, then, is unto the Lord. That is very important that you understand that. I feel encouraged to say something about this. Some people come to church and they, they don't get it, or, well, I don't know what it is. But when we have our worship time, which is the first part of our service, this is the time for you and me to minister to God, or at least part of it, okay? And, and so when we sing and when we worship the Lord, you're ministering to God. You're offering up spiritual sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And it's like God is here waiting 
for his people to minister to him. And God is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. But this is your opportunity to come before the Lord and to enter into this transcendent place where you and God come together, where your spirit and his spirit unite. It's a spiritual thing. Some people think it's a soulish thing. And if I feel the emotions, boy, I've really got a hold of the Holy Spirit. Not so. It's something of the spirit. There may be emotions attached, and certainly there should be, but that's not what it's all about. It's not an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. God is a spirit, and those that worship him worship him in spirit and truth. So it's when your spirit comes in contact with God's spirit. You say, how do I know when that happens? Because there'll be a sense of the presence of God coming into your awareness, right? God's spirit is that here at Lighthouse. I'm, I'm convinced that the spirit dwells here. God's happy to be here, okay? He enjoys being here. So it's not that, well, a guy came in, but there was no spirit. The spirit's here. You just, your job is to connect with the Holy Spirit, right? And you do that through the spirit realm. And so when we open our hearts before the Lord, the Bible says we're to make melody in our hearts, singing and worshiping the Lord. And as you do that, you connect with God. And the more you do that, the more God becomes a reality in your life. Let's look at Ephesians 5.18 very quickly. We're talking about ministering to the Lord. The key in your walk with God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be intoxicated to the point that you're drunk, in which is dispensation or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So the key is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's interesting. I was looking at that spiritual songs. By the way, Colossians 3.16 reiterates the same one. We're not going to turn there. But songs of the Spirit is an interesting concept. We understand hymns and, and psalms and those kind of places of worship before the Lord. When we do worship here, we're doing, we're doing hymns and songs. People wrote songs to the Lord, and we're singing those to the Lord, right? But then there's the spiritual song. The spiritual song is a little different. This is where the Holy Spirit is involved. Well, he's involved in all of it, but these are songs of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Spirit is singing through us. Hallelujah. I mean, when you pray in the Spirit, when you pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is praying through you, right? So when you pray in your Spirit, you're ministering through the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit, and I pray in my native language, whatever it was, Hebrew, maybe Greek, I don't know. But whatever he spoke, probably Hebrew, he would pray in Hebrew before the Lord, and then he would pray in the Spirit, in tongues. And Paul said, I wish that you would all prophesy and that you would all pray in tongues. Some people get a little weird about tongues, like, ooh, I don't understand that. Tongues is simply your spirit praying to God talking to God, right? Or singing. Paul said, I sing in the Spirit. So you can sing in the Holy Spirit, right? That's an act of worship. But the key again is it's coming by the Holy Spirit, being led of the Spirit, right? And we ought not to be afraid of that because it's biblical. It's of the Lord. Jesus said, out of your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. And I find that when I pray in the Spirit or sing in the Spirit, I feel as a river flowing from my belly or innermost being. And so what a gift that is to move into that realm. If you haven't done that, ask God to open that up for you, that you might pray in the Spirit, that you might sing in the Spirit. We just don't operate in the Spirit enough. We operate too much in the flesh, in the, in the natural realm, right? The natural realm won't get it done. It's got to be the spiritual realm, right? Because God is a spirit. He's a spiritual being. And we are spiritual beings. That's the thing we just don't understand. Most people think they're just flesh and, and mind, 
two parts. They don't see the spiritual part of themselves because they're dead spiritually. But when you're a Christian, you have a spiritual nature, and that ought to be the strongest part of you. I saw, I remember a pastor gave an analogy of these three fingers, and he said, most people put the attention on this finger, the, the, the body, right? Oh, I'm looking good today. Boy, isn't she beautiful. And so the attention's all on the outward. And then this one would be the mind, right, and the intellect. He's such an intellectual, you know, so sharp. And then this one is the spirit, but most people don't even concentrate on it. It should be the other way around. This should be the spirit right here. We should put our emphasis on the spirit in our life. And when you do that, walk in the spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Praise God. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Set your mind on the spirit. Amen? Praise God. All right. Back to Acts. We're going to get there. Acts 13. By the way, if you haven't looked at our website, take a look at Kelly put a new banner up. I love it. It says, Act Like Christ. Well, did Chrissy do that, or did you do that, or Chrissy did it? Regardless, we're thankful, but it's a picture of Peter. Remember the, the Bible series we watched, or we saw a portion of it? Anyway, Peter's on there, and it says, Act Like Christ. It's really kind of a cool picture. Praise God. But it's talking about our series of going through Acts. Verse 1, we're going to go back. In the church, there was, at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Now, we've talked about this a few times, and we're going to pick it up very quickly. Ephesians 4.11, and God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Five-fold ministry gifts in the church. That means these people are called to those places of ministry. You don't choose it. God calls you into that one of those places. Jesus operated in all five. Paul started out as a prophet, and then he became an apostle, prophet apostle. So he walked in two offices. So it means that you can operate in more than one. But all of these gifts of the Holy Spirit are for everybody. And you can read about them in Corinthians 12 and 14. So we ought to all operate in the gifts. But some of these are offices God places in the church and calls them into this place of ministry. Paul, now here we see, is being set apart as not only a prophet, but a teacher. And what a calling that is. He's, he actually, he, he walked in three offices then because he was also a teacher. You know, remember we said the prophetic gift is a foretelling and a foretelling. And so a fourth telling is that place of edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's how prophecy works. So a true gift of prophecy will, will edify. That means builds you up, okay? And it will exhort you, come on, you come on, you, got, you can do it. <laughs> like a coach, kind of. And then it will also comfort you. And that word comfort is also encouragement. We, we mentioned this before. If, if you don't have this, I want to break this down. Edification is to build up spiritually, Exhortation is to awaken, encourage, and challenge. And comfort is to cheer up, revive, and to encourage hope and expectation. Wow, aren't those all great things? So when prophecy is operating, it will do those things. It'll encourage, it'll edify, it'll comfort. The Holy Spirit's our comforter. So that's how you know if it's a true prophetic word. If the word feels condemning, if the word makes you feel bad, doesn't feel right, then we're to dismiss that as not of the Lord. Because there are people that give false prophecies, right? False words from the Lord. And we are to discern, the Bible says, discern the Spirit to see if it is from God. And as the pastor, that's my job, mainly, is to oversee that and, and to make sure that the words that are coming forth are coming from God. And I believe what Irene gave was from the Lord. Amen? Praise God. 
And it encourages the person. It lifts them up. It helps them. And we are to continually look for people to operate in that gift. Say, well, I don't think I could do that. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you can. You just ask the Lord. Give me a word for someone. Because we need words, don't we? Life's tough sometimes. And we feel like giving up. And we feel like quitting. And we think, God, Lord, I thought I had you had great plans for me. What happened along the way? What happened to my life? And to hear somebody say, hey, you're on the right track. You're going the right way. God's going to do something really good in your life. Hope, expectation of future good. I love that. God says, I have thoughts of peace to you, a peace towards you, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I have future good plans for you. That's great, because that gets you going. You wake up in the morning, God's got good plans for our church, for myself, for my life, my vocation, my family. Yes, there is a husband out there, <laughs> says the Lord. Yes, I do have husbands for you, says the Lord. <laughs> Praise God. But sometimes, and I have wives for you, <laughs> says the Lord. It's interesting. You know the, the Levites, they were not to marry divorced women, and they were not to marry widows unless they were widows of a, of a priest, of a, a deceased Levite. Interesting. So there were, they, God wanted them to marry virgins, which has to do with the holiness of the operation of this working of the Holy Spirit through these priests. That's, that's beautiful. I love that. Okay, then there was the foretelling. The prophet could tell the future. Now, we've got to be careful with this because there are horoscopes and there are fortune tellers and there are psychics that claim they can tell the future. You've seen them on TV. Maybe you've read. You know, the, the, I always say stay away from those horoscopes. You know, some people really get into that, but it's more like a horror scope. And the Bible forbids getting involved in that. You know, what is your sign and all those kind of things. That, that, that we're to avoid that in our life because it's not of God. It's not a working of God. But the world embraces it. You know, I'm this sign and this is... But I believe it's, this is a working of the enemy to ensnare people. And so we, when we have to be careful with fortune telling, who's doing this, okay? And I would highly recommend that you don't go to a psychic, that you don't go to someone who's like that and try to get your, your fortune read. Now, if you've done something like that in the past, you're forgiven. It's not like you're ruined. But this is not something we're to seek after. Now, there is a true prophetic word that tells the future, and that comes from God. I mean, let's face it. If God knows the future, then Satan, who's the counterfeiter, can also know certain things about the future. And some of these people that operate in this world, they know certain things. The devil knows certain things, but he doesn't know everything. God knows everything, right? So we want to stick with that which comes from the Lord. And so these prophets could foretell and they could foretell. Now let's look at verse number two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we're talking about ministering to the Lord. In our ministering to the Lord, it's our way of, of blessing God and worshiping God. And we've already talked about that. This morning when we worshiped, we were ministering to God. But part of ministering to God is praying. And by the way, for those of you that are hearty and you're, you want to come early to church, behind that curtain you can go and pray. Casey and Irene are there. Casey's there every week. And praying. And, you know, if you want to join in prayer, come. Pray for the service. Pray for our church as the Lord leads. Amen? And that is a sacrifice. Prayer sometimes is a sacrifice. Got to get up a little earlier, you know? 
got to get up. But it's a sacrifice to do that. But God honors our prayers and our fastings. Now, when we first came down here to Laguna Niguel, and I'm not saying this in any bragging way, but our family was given to fasting. We, we, we did a season of fasting. And that takes a lot out of you. I mean, we're not just talking about one day, but days. And it, it occurred over weeks of time. Not every day, but sometimes it was multiple days at once. But it was, we were sincere. We were praying for our ministry. We were praying for the church, and we were fasting. So Jesus said that, that fasting is of the Lord, right? They didn't need to fast when the bridegroom was there, but when the bridegroom left, then the church needs to fast. So you say, well, how do I fast? Well, you just don't eat. <laughs> or you don't eat certain things, right? Okay, I'm going to fast desserts, right? Or, or, or I'm, I'm not going to eat this thing or that. But, but I think the best form of fasting is to eat nothing. Now, you could do it for a meal. You could do it for two meals. You could do it for three meals. You could do it for several days, but that's not always necessary. But going at least through a day without food is not going to kill you unless you're sick in body and you get the proper hydration. It's a way to draw closer to God. And they were fasting and ministering to the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit spoke. I love that. And how did the Holy Spirit speak? Well, let's, let's, let's look at it. He spoke through one of the prophets. There were seven prophets there. And he spoke through the prophet. We don't know which one. The Bible doesn't say. I'm sure it wasn't Barnabas and, and Paul because they were the ones being called out. But the Spirit spoke through one of these prophets and said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the ministry that I've called them to, the ministry that I have called them to. God calls people into ministry, right? But they were praying and fasting and the word of the Lord came. And so Paul and Barnabas were set apart as of the Lord. Now, a couple more things on ministering to the Lord, and then we're going to close. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 15, talking about ministering to God. Hebrews 13, 15, Therefore by him let us continually, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So on a continual basis, Hebrews 13, 15, if you're looking for it, continually give thanks to the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless God. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. Phrases like that. And say them out loud. You know, I mean, you can do it in your head, but continually praising God. I think the more you do that, the more you're going to experience the fullness of God in your life. And it's so easy to get away from that and to not thank the Lord. But we, we need to continually do this. Now look at 1 Peter 2.9. Hebrew James Peter. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a great scripture. Called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The sacrifices of praise. Merlin Carruthers wrote a book, The Power of Praise. Prison, from Prison to Praise, is that what it's called? Yeah, he's read a couple of, but that's a great little book if you ever want to read it. I have it if you want to borrow it. But just the power of praising God on a continual basis, no matter how life is treating you. I'm going to keep praising God. I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep walking with God. And the fact that I need to persevere in God. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep going. God's got good things for me, and I'm going to keep worshiping him. So we are called to offer up praises unto God. That's in our life. Now, in that praise, let's go back to verse 3 in Acts. How does that manifest itself in the church? Well, when we come together, we sing. You know, some people don't sing. They just sit there like a blob. They don't sing. I don't understand that. I mean, I don't care what's going on in your life. Sing. 
Arise and eat. That's what the word was to Peter. I mean, you need to be singing. Well, I don't have a good voice. Who cares? God doesn't care. It's not about how good your voice is. It really isn't. It's about the fact that you were singing, okay? So let's sing. (laughs) You can do it. It's not that hard. And then there's the lifting of hands. Now, some people get all weird about that. I don't understand why people get weird about lifting hands. It's all through the scripture. They lifted their hands to the Lord. It's natural. It's just just a way. It's almost like a handshake to somebody on earth. You lift your hands to the Lord. You're saying, I I sacrifice myself to you. I open my heart up to you. And I told you, for, for me, the Holy Spirit comes right between my hands right here in this place, in this space right there as a representation of the Ark of the Covenant and the two cherubim sitting above the mercy seat. I will dwell between the two cherubim above the mercy seat. You are an Ark of the Covenant in God and his spirit comes right here. So I've never experienced that. Ask God, make it a reality. And you'll say, he was right. That is right. <laughs> you can feel it. It's right there. And it's the best thing on the planet. And then we lift our hands and we shout. Oh, don't shout in church. Please don't. Shout and the walls are coming down. Jericho. They shouted in the scripture. Now, it's under the unction of the spirit. You're not some loud mouth just screaming around, being weird. But there's a time to shout to the Lord. In fact, there's a, there is warfare in shouting. That's a whole other subject. But you'd be, we can fight the enemy with our shout of praise. And it drives him out. And by the way, Amanda, I don't know what's going on with you, but I feel that the Lord's telling me that you are under a spiritual warfare. I don't know what's happening right now, but with, the, with your child, with your baby, I don't know, what all the, you know where you stand, but the Lord showed me that this is a, a, this, the enemy is really involved in this, but you're going to get the victory. Amen? We agree you're going to get it. All right, praise God. So the shout of the Lord, study it. If you don't believe me, Go in the Old Testament, get your, get your concordance. You know what that is? Buy yourself a concordance and look up the word shout. See how many times it comes up. You'll be amazed. And then comes dancing. Oh, don't dance in church. That's for the discotheque. Sorry, they danced in church. A little bit of different type of dancing. This is not a romantic dance between men and women. This is a romantic dance between you and the Lord. A different, total different thing. Spiritual dance. David danced. Come on, let's all say that. David danced. One more time. David danced. Well, he did. And he's a man after God's own heart. And his wife made fun of him. Don't dance out there in your underwear. You're a fool. God judged her. She never had children. He didn't like that. So when you see, if you see somebody dancing or doing something in the church you don't like, if I were you, I would just keep it to yourself. I mean, because if you judge them and, and despise them or make fun of them in your mind... God's not happy with you. Because if they're doing it as unto the Lord, leave them alone. Now, if they're doing it fleshly to try to draw attention, then God will deal with them and show them that's not right. Because there are people in church that do things just so everybody can look at them. You know what I mean? They want to be seen. That's not it. This is just between you and God. And it's an act of worship. Praise God. And then there's bowing down. So many times they bow down. And I find in our church, when I worship, my head bows. And I'm not saying that as to say this is something you have to do. I feel the Holy Spirit pushing me down, leading me down to bow. Not all the way down to my knees, I've done that, but the feeling of going low, bowing before the Lord. The angels put their wings down and bow down. We should bow down before God. He's God, right? We are the sheep of his pasture. We ought to bow down before the Lord. I've been in churches where I don't feel that. I feel it here. 
Now, I'm not saying that because I'm the pastor, but I feel a sense of bowing down. And that means there's a holy presence in this place. Because if you come into contact with God, guess what you're going to do? Bow down. It's a holy thing to be in the presence of the Lord. And if we came into the fullness of his presence, it would be a very, very scary thing. I'm convinced of it. Even Moses was freaked out, right? I mean, so God is holy, and you don't have to fear God in that sense, but we have to understand, though, God is holy, and he's so far above us, and so righteous and holy and clean and pure, it just, and we are so not that, you know what I mean, that there's a big difference. The angels continually worship the Lord. If it's good enough for the angels, it ought to be good enough for us, right? Okay, we're going to finish with this very quickly. I just want to tell you the story about Paul going to the first place they went to, Cyprus. Cyprus was um, or is the third largest island in the Mediterranean, 60 miles off the coast of Syria. It's an island 100 miles long. This is the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are going to Cyprus, and they meet this false prophet, this magician, this psychic, if you will. And this guy is trying to stop the work of the Lord, and they are ministering, and people are coming to God. In fact, they, they encounter a very important person. We'll take a look at this in verse 7, who was, well, let's go 6. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they came to us, found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and Saul so, and sought to hear the word of the Lord. And this man, this Elimus, the sorcerer, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Be careful that you don't turn people away from the Lord. This is what this man was doing. He was a false prophet trying to stop the work of the Lord. And watch with this, look at this working of power. I love this. Then Saul, who's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, said, O full of all deceit, all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Whoa. (laughs) Now, that's kind of scary. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) to have that kind of power operating you. Paul, but obviously he was led of the Holy Spirit. This man was stopping the work of the Lord and he spoke this by the Spirit, okay? It wasn't Paul just going off. He spoke by the Spirit. But that is a moving of power on the, on the other side, right? And then it says, and, they, and look at the last verse, and we're going to close. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished by the teaching of the Lord. The teaching of the Lord. <laughs> 